0: Okay, uh Fuck Mary Kill, are you ready? Always. Um all right. You are going to love this edition of Fuck Mary Kill. And I totally mm-hmm. I totally stole this from um a different podcast, but I don't care. No, That's fine. <laughs> okay. Fuck Mary Kill Cryptid Edition. Yes. <laughs> okay, but it can also be like lore, characters like maybe not necessarily cryptid, but like um urban legend type of things. Kay. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Fuck Mary Kill. Okay. Slenderman. Okay. Bloody Mary. Okay. And a kushtika. Mm. for folks that might not know is uh it's literally a land otter man. That's lit the literal definition. Yeah, we,
1: we talked about them, right?
0: A little bit, yeah. Yeah. Um Um, I think I'd marry the Kushtika. Okay.
1: Why? I don't know. Just because I feel like I could cuddle an Otter Man easier than Bloody Mary or Slender Man.
0: Yeah, okay.
1: Um, but that kind of makes me feel like it's bestiality, so I don't I don't know. (laughs) But you know what I mean? Like you didn't say you'd fuck the Kushtika. (laughs) I mean, but if you're married you assume but But it's at least
0: more loving. Yeah, okay. Um You at least have a you have an emotional connection.
1: Wow, I'm torn. Oh, between these two, I'm
0: I'm fucking I'm killing the shit out of Bloody Mary. I don't I don't know, man. She might be freaky.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm
0: just I'm just saying, she might be
1: down with some cool shit. Maybe teach me some shit. I don't know. <laughs> so like, and I feel like Slender Man, like he has no face. So like. I See, can't really read if I'm doing anything right. I think you know? I think
0: Slenderman would be the freaky one. He's probably got a slender dick. Yeah, but he might have nice slender fingers.
1: Fair. Okay.
0: <laughs> this is ridiculous.
1: <laughs> I think I still think I'd kill Slenderman and fuck Buddy Mary.
0: Wow. Okay. See, I'm all, I'm the opposite for those two. The Kushika. obviously I'm marrying the Kushika, Yeah, yes, yes. Um... Do you have one using different cryptids? I know I'm putting you on the spot. You know my boy Mothman's going to be in it. Oh fuck yeah.
1: Um The Jersey Devil?
0: Oh. I'm
1: going to throw that one in oh, there. Oh nice, okay. Um and
0: hmm I know. It's that last one. I mean, you could do the, you could do Bigfoot. What about the Flatwood? the Flatwoods monster maybe? I don't know that one.
1: The Flatwoods Monster.
0: I have to look it up. Look it up. What's it? What is the the first word? Flatwoods.
1: (laughs) It's another West Virginia. Of course. The fingers are interesting.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, While I'm looking this up, that's Rachel. Oh, that's Becky. And this is Fuck, Mary, Kill, Cryptid Edition on Chardonnay and DNA. Yes. Oh, I don't. I don't fuck with this thing. <laughs> okay. It looks
1: like a weird opera singer kind of from the drawing with like a leaf head.
0: Yeah. Okay. It's kind of so, yeah, I feel like this would be like Mothman's like like his hoe. Maybe. His lady. So,
1: Jersey Devil, Mothman or or Flatwoods Monster, fuck Mary Kill.
0: Um I'm going to marry the Jersey Devil. I don't know why, okay. but he seems reliable. Okay. I'm going to fuck Mothman. Yeah. And I'm killing this fucking bitch. This Flatwoods monster. Okay. I can get down with
1: killing the Flatwoods monster. I'm not digging it. No. I'm torn between the Jersey Devil because the Jersey Devil, if you look at like lore, was like, um, treated poorly, if I'm remembering correctly. Like, born as a normal child. Aww. And then, like, um, like then it ended up like getting hooves and shit like i don't know there's a lot of weird lore So like i'm torn but it's very horse looking in like a lot of the drawings (laughs) and i'm just not down i don't know fucking it (laughs) so like i'm struggling and and you know mothman's juicy ass like i can't obviously can't get away well also like imagine marrying mothman and like just you're just sitting on the couch and then all of a sudden like he gets, gets real ominous because something bad is going to happen. Like, like just his just, presence means something bad is going to yeah, happen. Yeah, like, so he's, like
0: just, he's just gloomy. Oh, right, I that think fits that fits me. That's true. But you can also have a sexless marriage. Which like, would suck. R- which would suck, but you... Obviously, if you're going to fuck something, you have to fuck it. If you're going to marry something, I mean, you don't have to. I guess. You just have to split the bills with it.
1: I just, the, the Jersey Devil makes me think of like a horse show.
0: I might have a horse stick.
1: It's creepy.
0: This got vulgar in the first two minutes. Wow. It got
1: super vulgar for people. If I hope this is not something that someone just tuned oh, into God, and has never is. listened before. No. I promise. No, you know what? No, this is a pretty accurate representation of who we are. It is. Let's we not gotta, pretend. We gotta
0: ease people into that shit.
1: Yeah, there was, there was, that was like, there was no, uh. Nothing. No tip, little toe in the water there. That was like a full cannonball right into. <laughs> it, wasn't <just> <laughs> it wasn't
0: just the tip.
1: It wasn't just the tip. It wasn't just the tip. Oh, I loved that. That was fantastic. Oh,
0: thank, you,
1: thank I, you. I always love a good game of fuck, marry, kill. And this was such a fun twist.
0: But you didn't, you didn't really land on which. So who are you marrying? Oh, I didn't. Um. Yeah, you're not getting out of this. Okay. Okay. Hear me out. Okay. Both of them can
1: fly. So we have that. Okay. I think I would fuck the Mothman, marry the Jersey Devil too. Cause like, I could like, you know, we could go flying. Cause it's like a horse, like a flying horse looking thing.
0: I mean, if you want, you could kill the Jersey Devil, I guess, and yeah, but then I'd have to
1: fuck that fucking weird monster, that Flatwoods monster. No, you'd have it- to
0: marry her. No, I'm to be stuck with her. She might be a bad bitch. I don't know. Eh,
1: yeah, but those eyes.
0: I know there's something I don't trust about that thing.
1: There's in like the weird middle corset looking thing. It's yeah. not really a corset. Yeah. I don't like
0: her fucking leaf head. Like what?
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's it's weird. Well, I mean, I
0: kind of like the leaf head, though, because it makes me think of like a praying mantis. Uh, I kind of. Yeah, I I can see that. I don't know. I don't like her. I don't trust that bitch. Yeah, yeah. And I, I you know what? I'm finding I don't I don't fuck with uh female cryptid slash lore characters. I guess. Really? Well, I just I just talk shit on Bloody Mary, and I talk shit on this one.
1: Don't look in your mirror today at all. Oh
0: fuck! Shit. I'm sorry. I re- i'm
1: fucking with you i don't believe in that I but respect- I, you, know, you pissed her off
0: i respect her i just don't i just want to kill her. well she's not
1: coming after me because i said i'd fucking uh fuck her yeah so. that
0: you fucking fuck her that's right we're
1: good we're fantastic um yeah that was fun i like that
0: i'm glad we can play that again you but you're yeah. better you'd be better because i don't know a whole lot of cryptids
1: I think I'd be fun with, like, storybook, like, characters and that kind of lore characters, too, you know? like,
0: villains, maybe? Yes.
1: Oh, oh, villains. Oh, Maleficent. Oh. Villains. The new Jafar and the new Aladdin.
0: Oh, shit.
1: Oh, that- Please.
0: You could also put fucking Gaston in there.
1: Oh, my God. He's a fucking- I'd kill him instantly.
0: Oh, instantly. If you picked anything else, you would have to have someone even worse than Gaston to pick anybody else, and that's hard.
1: Yeah, no, no. I was just going on looks. Let me just slide right on in Jafar's lap. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so that was that was fun.
0: Uh, what was I going to say? I don't, Oh, I was. I will not. I refuse, and I know that you'll agree with me. I will not play fuck, Mary kill with like serial killers.
1: No, fuck no. It'd be kill, kill, kill.
0: It, it would. Yes, it would be kill. Punch, Mame. punch in the dick. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, if you asked me, if I'd rather punch Ted Bundy in the face, the dick, or the asshole, then
1: why? Uh, <laughs> Porque <laughs> no, twi- porc- no trace? Would that work? <laughs> What's the little girl? She she says Porque no dose on the t- the taco commercial. <laughs> why not?
0: Why not all three?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: True. Why am I limiting myself? I don't know. I, I
1: love. I know that's such a weird, random memory, but I adore that commercial and that little girl. Whenever she's like, they're all excited about the tacos. What is the?
0: What is the old school? Uh, is the dog still around? Like, I know that same dog probably isn't around, but the Taco Bell. No. Mm-mm. Like they didn't even get a replacement. No, I don't think so. Well, that's kind of nice that they're just letting on, letting,
1: letting yeah. him
0: be the only one.
1: Yeah, living out living out his dream.
0: Well, I think part of the reason why we had to just get right into it quick and dirty yeah. is because we're in a hurry. Why are we in we, a hurry?
1: We're in a hurry because um, my business uh. got invited to go to an extremely big event. Uh, and we have to leave tonight to get there in time for tomorrow um, to open. So here is my official announcement. Um <sighs> Wasn't planning on doing it this way, folks, but here it is. No, this is a perfect way. I think. I think it works. It works well. Um, I started a CBD company. Whoop, whoop. Uh, I'm very, very excited about it. We are very passionate about education and compassion in uh, with using CBD. Um, we want to teach people about CBD, different cannabinoids, and um, just general, you know, what it can do to help you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and we want to provide really high quality products. Um, we can trace everything from seed to shelf, which is really important. Um, and yeah, so the company's called Vanco CBD. It's V like Victor, A-N-K-O, like the end of my last name, um, CBD. And we are on Facebook, Instagram, uh, and our website should be live by the time you're all hearing this.
0: Finally, um, that's been a trip. yeah.
1: It it's it's been rough and she's put in a ton of hard work and I'm really excited. Um so yeah, it's it's gonna be good. Um
0: Yay.
1: Yeah, so I'm excited about it. Um check us out and uh if you need help with CBD, I am your gal.
0: Can I make a shameless joke? Obviously. Um when you said seed to shelf, mm-hmm. that can also be used at a spur
1: oh fuck every time I say that now when I'm giving my pitch I'm gonna think of someone jacking off in a tiny room I'm not mad at it it's, it's gonna make me fucking crack up every time
0: that I cracked myself up with
1: <laughs> seed to shelf to womb
0: seed to shelf to write up your cooter yeah to the turkey baster call Van Gogh CBD today <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Um, um, I feel like I needed to give the disclaimer, uh, Vanco Vanco CBD does not sell semen, okay?
1: Yeah, we do not. We absolutely do not. Only high quality CBD. I mean, if that is a
0: niche that people would want to, like, pay for, all right, I guess. Will CBD make your semen taste like pineapples or something? No,
1: unfortunately. Oh. Wouldn't that be cool, though? Jesus.
0: I think about that kind of shit all the time, which really is something I should not admit.
1: Well, I don't think that it's necessarily even like it's not that like I think it's it's not CBD. I'm not even talking about CBD now. But I think it's like certain things like that you eat that just change your body chemistry that change that taste. Yeah, so it's not like. Oh, it's gonna taste like pineapple if you eat a whole fucking pineapple. No, it just makes I think it it's sweeter, just like,
0: right? Like, yeah,
1: rather than like bitter and sour if you decide to eat like fucking French fries and a cheeseburger. Uh, so you know, but yeah. So, um, but yeah. So that's why we're in a hurry. So sorry for the lack of banter today, which I'm sure some of you actually appreciate. Um, I do. We're gonna. We need, to,
0: we need to shut the fuck up sometimes. Like I'm just
1: kidding. Yeah, I mean we have fun with it. We do. Um,
0: but yeah so you want to jump in and tell me a tale i do um yeah. but also congratulations on your business and thank you we need to, we need to do like we need to do shit with that we need to get your name out there my
1: i know this sounds a little bit fucking ridiculous because obviously everybody starts a business to make money but that is not my goal <laughs> my goal is to educate people and make sure that they are getting a good quality product, even if it's not from me. So I've had people come up and say, oh, I already use CBD. Uh, It doesn't work. And I'll ask to see what they're using and then I'll research it and tell them whether or not, yeah, it's a fantastic product. Keep using it or no, it's a crappy product. There's just a lot of really bad CBD out there. And I don't care if you don't buy it from me. I just want to make sure you're using something safe Um, and something that is effective and going to work for you, even if it's not something that I carry. So like, I know that sounds a little ridiculous, but getting my name out there means that I can also help more
0: people. That's the thing. Yeah. And like, so, and the thing is, is I pass every fucking like convenience store gas station that says we sell CBD. And I'm like, they cannot all, these cannot all be quality. Like there is no way.
1: No, no. And I'm sorry, but that, that person working behind the gas station counter can't look at you and tell you what that's going to do to help you, how it's going to work with your endocannabinoid system. They're just literally going to be like, here you go. And that's it. So whoever's selling you CBD should be able to at least give you an education on the product and what it can do to help you and how it works.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, the, that's that is crazy to me like how much i see like cbd sold here signs when i'm like i would never fucking buy cbd from there <laughs> like,
1: no no and they do all the time and we hear it every single time we're at a show cbd didn't work for me and i'll ask them where they get it and they tell me they got it sheets and i'm like well that's fucking why well,
0: that's the re- and i mean they i think people just don't know so i think it's i think it's really good that you because i i feel like people just buy they buy things out of convenience a lot like we all do that
1: yeah for sure it's there i'm gonna grab it i'm gonna see what happens but we also want to try and take first off some of the stigma away from cannabis in general um and two we want to present ourselves as just kind of like your neighbors that you feel comfortable coming to talk to because it can be really fucking daunting to walk into a store and know that you need help with something like even at a grocery store and ask for help I don't ever want it to be like that I want someone to feel comfortable asking me for help finding a product that's going to help them work like help them get through whatever they're getting you know they need help for so
0: well and I think what I also have a big and then I'll shut up and we'll get into this so you can uh, go but uh, uh, what I also find really intimidating and what stops me from like asking questions about products is that I do not want to feel like if I'm asking you a question you're going to try to get me to buy something like I don't want to feel pressured yeah that you're gonna and obviously it's it's your goal that I'm saying you're generally like not you
1: yeah yeah a person's goal
0: yeah it's everyone's goal that's running especially a small business for people to buy things but I do not want to feel like I don't want to feel guilty for leave for not buying something like if I'm yeah not, if I'm not ready to buy something then I don't want to feel like you're kind of following around me around and saying like oh this will help with this this'll, like no I just no. I want you to answer my questions and be smart and yep. allow me to like look at things without feeling like I'm I can never walk into this store again
1: yeah nope and I I fully fully get that like we like I said we never pressure anybody to purchase anything and usually I end up doing research about other people's products um to see you know if it's if it's a good product so that's that's the whole thing we want to be friendly we want to be welcoming I don't want you to ever feel pressured my whole goal is to help you feel better and that's what it should be for every company that sells CBD um you know using this this natural alternative to help people feel better so
0: nice well yeah so thanks yeah we will we will do some plugging yeah and not
1: my shit just kidding i'm really kidding but if you do have questions please message me because i love to help people
0: all right well oh. um so again i'm gonna shamelessly shout out lauren because she fucking sent me this story she is coming in clutch she's, with these stories she's coming in hot and they're always yeah. good yeah um okay but this one I don't this I'm going to make a broad statement here. Not like a not a broad statement, a strong statement, a here's my statement. Okay. This story may be in my top 3 favorites that I've ever done. What? It is so fucking weird. It's so weird to me. And it has everything. (laughs) It has everything.
1: (laughs) I am... Does it have aliens again?
0: Uh, okay. It doesn't have that, but it has... It has, like, satanic cults. I mean, I... It does It's crazy. It's a fucking crazy story. And I, I find it just so twisty and turny and just bananas bonkers crazy.
1: All right. I'm excited.
0: So... I, and I also have to shout out this dude named Skip Hollinsworth. He's a writer who I use this um, this article that he wrote in Texas Monthly okay. from March 2002. It is so detailed and it tells this story like this whole time. I don't know if this happens to you, but sometimes when we have to pull from so many different articles, I'm like, oh my, like I have to like piecemeal the story together and it can be difficult to like really visualize what's happening. Yeah, okay. This article was my only source because it was so detailed and it I love was it. and it was so like uh, it was so illustrated. Like it just, he just illustrated everything about it and maybe that's why I loved it so much because I could just I could just see what was happening and it was fucking bananas. Like he he wrote a really really good article. So um we'll definitely put the link like we always do for sources but texas monthly march 2002 by skip Hollinsworth. i'm not gonna tell you the title or anything because i don't want it to give it away but okay are you ready
1: i am as ready as i'm ever gonna be
0: okay so we are in vancouver washington okay 1997 okay and pay attention to places and years a little bit it's not terribly complicated, it, it, but just Vancouver, 1997. All right. All right. In 1997, Brianna Stewart was the new girl at Evergreen High School in Vancouver, Washington. Life seemed to be pretty difficult for this 16-year-old who reported to school officials that she had been walking the streets and sleeping in youth shelters in Portland, Ooh. Oregon, before coming to Vancouver, which happened when she found Glad Tidings Church and began regularly attending services there. She met a young, generous couple at the church, and seeing a young woman with potential in need of a stable home to restart her life, they took her into their home. One of the Evergreen Guidance counselors, Greg Merrill, asked Brianna about her childhood and what led her to becoming homeless at 16. When posed with the question, Brianna struggled a little bit to reply, but she shared with Mr. Merrill that she had been raised just outside Mobile, Alabama. I don't know if it's mobile or mobile, whatever. Um, by her mother and her Navajo stepfather, a sheriff's deputy. Brianna said that her mother was murdered when she was very young, and after that, she lived with her stepfather. At 13, she ran away from home and hitchhiked across the country, or around the country, rather.
1: Hmm.
0: Her mother had told her that her biological father lived in the Northwest, so she wound up in Oregon and Washington to find out more about her past. Greg Merrill was appalled at the background that she had, and when he asked about her previous education, Brianna stated that she'd only ever been homeschooled, but she promised to be a good student. She said, I've never had a normal life. That's all I want, to be a normal teenager like everyone else. Which is, like, really... Aww,
1: that's, that's so heartbreaking. That's
0: really fucking heartbreaking. And yeah. I think it shows, like, there is humanity in the world, that there are people that would take her in. Yeah. So that's what she did. She uh, was a normal teenager. So every morning she'd get on the city bus with her backpack um, that had her textbooks and her Bible, which she seemed to carry with her everywhere. Um, She enjoyed English and creative writing. And she even wrote this um, one piece about a young girl whose only companions were imaginary friends. I know it's really fucking sad and it gets worse. (laughs) Yeah. So Brie was a little bit awkward. She started going by, by Brie. Um, she's a little awkward and different from her peers. She usually dressed in the same outfit um, of overalls, a t-shirt, and tennis shoes. She always wore her hair in pigtails, which like is a bit like juvenile for a 16-year-old. Um, but she... And she was also described as just being like more full-figured than other girls. She had like wider hips and an endearing smile. Her voice was like high pitched and almost childlike with a southern twang. Um so this one boy, I love him. His name was Ken Dunn in 10th grade. Um she, he really took a liking to her. Like he liked her southern accent. Um, and he was really encouraging to her, despite that she was like kind of awkward. Like she, he would cheer her on when she joined the girls tennis team, despite that she really wasn't that skilled at tennis. And she, he helped her with, um, her lines for drama class, even though she was a little aloof when she was like on stage, he walked her to class, they passed notes, and then they eventually started going out on dates. Um, Ken also began attending services and youth groups, um, at that same church with, with Bree. And he was amazed at how well uh, Brianna knew the Bible as if she'd been studying it for years. So at first, Hmm. at first Brianna shared very little about her past with Ken, but one day while at the local mall's food court, she opened up and told Ken that she's, um, that she had watched her stepfather stab her mother to death and carry away her body. Oh, yeah, you know, just at the fucking food court eating Annie Ann's pretzels, and you drop that bomb,
1: just normal, normal childhood things,
0: yeah, no problem, like okay, brie oh maybe God. maybe you could have given poor Ken a warning, that's rough, super rough, so then the stepdad, uh which you know she grew up with him um until she left at thirteen, but the stepdad she claimed then made videotapes of himself and his friends raping her and Fuck. yeah and by the way everyone this is gonna mention rape a lot and i should have prefaced with that so
1: yeah.
0: um if that is something that you do not want to hear this story might not be for you um because there is a lot of mention of it i will not go into detail of anything but it just it just it just mentions it quite a bit okay So he claims that, yeah, he made these videos, which he sold on the black market. Brianna went on to say that she became pregnant at the age of 11 or 12, and he pushed her down a flight of stairs to force her to miscarry. She then went to the police station to turn him in, but no one would believe her, which is just like everyone's worst fear in that situation, that they won't be believed. They then called her stepfather to come pick her up, and she knew she had no choice but to book it and, and get out of there, and run away. Yeah. So then she fled to the northwest, and just before coming to Evergreen High School, she had gotten to know a security guard who worked out in downtown Vancouver. One day, while the two of them were sitting in his car, um, he had told, or he had pulled down his pants and then pulled down hers and forced her to have sex. When, poor girl yeah when Bree was telling ken this she said he raped me he raped me he raped me and she repeated it over and over again uh crying and said i wanted um she said i wanted to kill myself i began to think about standing on an overpass and jumping off wow um and ken oh God, <clears throat> bless ken get bless ken's little heart he said here is this beautiful girl who had been forced to endure unimaginable atrocities. And yet, here she was at Evergreen, wanting to make something of herself in life. I wanted to help. I wanted to make her happy. I wanted her to know that someone cared for her. Mm. He's a perfect angel, baby. Yes. So he was clearly taken with Brianna and really wanted to show her like love and kindness. Um, And he asked her to the Sadie Hawkins dance, where they wore matching overalls, and they danced. Um. That night, Ken told Brianna he loved her, and Brianna said that she felt the same way about him. So, like, cute as fuck, right? Yes. Precious. Precious. Precious to death. Yeah. Um, so then Bri, uh began to fit in at school the next year. Her peers knew about her cruel upbringing and how she had courageously reported the security guard who assaulted her to the police. Um, Bree really wanted to be a lawyer to specialize in children's cases, and she spent her free time at the library researching the law and continued her creative writing. Oh, no. She wrote a short story for her English class entitled Betrayed about a girl named Jessica who had no idea where she came from, later discovering that she had been abducted as a kid. The story paralleled her own life in many ways. Um, Like she desperately needed a social security number because she didn't have an, an identity Um, And she needed that to identify her as Brianna Stewart so that she could move on with her life and do normal things, get a driver's license, apply for college, get a job. But the federal government would not issue her a new social security number unless she could track down her birth certificate or find a real father. Or at the very least, just prove that her biological father existed. How else would she fucking exist? Right, I think I think the thing is, is that she had like no, like no documents with her. Um. So then, you know, she, you, you know how it is. Like you can't get one thing without getting the other thing. It. I just. Uh... It's. Yeah. So. Who? Um. Just. It's a wild ride, man. Making all of this even more difficult was that Bree really couldn't remember much from her childhood. Um, the mental health professionals in Vancouver thought that she maybe suffered from amnesia or some sort of post-traumatic stress syndrome, um, but Brie didn't even know if Brianna had always been her name. She knew only that when she was a little girl, her stepfather started calling her Brianna, which um, he had told her meant bright eyes in Navajo. She had no idea, though, if she had, like, a different name before that.
1: Yeah, it's, you know, childhood
0: trauma. She probably blocked everything out. Right. Like, (laughs) okay. Yeah. (laughs) So a state social worker ended up stepping in to offer some help and conducted, like, extensive record searches for any evidence of um, Bree's background. An employee from Indian Health Services scoured national databases of missing children and even asked her to give blood in hopes of finding a DNA match. They tried to match Bree to abducted child cases that occurred in the 80s in various states, but all of these avenues were dead ends. Great. Um, So in January of 2000, Bree took some time off school to travel by bus to Daphne, Alabama, where she said she'd been raised. So, a police detective from Daphne spent several days driving her around, hoping she would see something that would jog her memory. She did see a couple of, like, vaguely familiar places, but there are still, like, no one could find any evidence that she ever lived there.
1: Okay. Um, so that's for- where she ran away from? Yeah. Okay.
0: Yep. So, one cuz she had all these people like mental health professionals, social workers, police like trying to help her figure this out. Yeah. Um so one possible clue came when she visited a dentist in Portland. The dentist later told a social worker that he was surprised to notice that Brianna's wisdom teeth had been extracted and that the scars had healed, which is very peculiar for a 16-year-old girl. When the social cuz you know, normally you get those out like Any time between, like, maybe late high school and, like, college, up until your 20s, maybe?
1: I got mine out early. Okay. But I had to get braces, so that's why. Okay. So that's why I was kind of like, why is that? But, you know, extenuating circumstances.
0: Right. And I think it's just kind of like, and even, you know, back then, it just might not have been.
1: And she didn't remember having them removed?
0: I'll keep going, but basically, no. So. Okay. When the social worker asked Brianna about the dentist's statement, she responded with an angry five-page, single-spaced letter denouncing anyone who would doubt her backstory, emphasizing that her word meant, quote, so much to her, and insisted that she was being honest. Okay. So, when Brianna told Ken about what happened with the dentist, Ken asked if there might be anything to what the dentist was saying that would be worth exploring. To his astonishment, Brianna was furious, saying, like, How dare you think I'm not 16? How dare you even ask that? How can you even say you love me? Like he was she was pissed. Um, hmm. and Ken was like the best kid ever and tried to let this go, um, because he really did love her and he knew that um she really cared about him. And um he and he bought her a sterling silver ring that Christmas, and the inside was engraved with her favorite line from the new, the newer at that time, Romeo and Juliet movie with um, Leonardo with DiCaprio. Leo. Yeah, 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 and it said, "I love thee." Oh, so he's just cute as shit. Yeah. So by the end of their junior year, uh, Brianna was staying with the Gambetta family, whose son was good friends with Ken. Um, the family from the church could no longer afford to look after Brie. So the Gambettas stepped in and welcomed her into their home. They treated her super well. Like they treated her like their own daughter. They gave her a spare, the spare bedroom, gave her a weekly allowance. But then in May of 1999, um, uh, Brie had said that David Gambetta, the father of the household, had been spying on her. She said he put little cameras in the ceiling lights in her room and was recording her while she got undressed. What? Um, Yeah, but then a quick investigation by police found that Bree's claims had no teeth. Like, there was no grounds for these claims. And the Gambettas kicked Bree out immediately. Yet Brianna... Yeah, yet Brianna, who soon found new lodging with the mother of a police officer, kept insisting that she was telling the truth and for the first time and this had to have just been devastating um for the first time ken was like talk like really was startled by this i mean this was his friend's family that she had done this you know that it, she had accused yeah and when he was talking to a friend he said my god what if brianna has been making everything up
1: oh god
0: Like, what a terrible...
1: He had been so, like, willing to help her, and, like, having that realization had to be, like, fucking earth-shattering. That had
0: to be a punch to the nuts. Yeah. So, in June of 2000, Brie graduated from Evergreen High School, where she earned a 2.33 grade point average. And although he and Brianna had broken up after Brie's accusations toward Mr. Gambetta, Ken still wasn't totally over her. He approached her at a graduation party and they talked about her plans to attend a local community college. The financial aid office at the college would actually allow her to enroll with um, a scholarship despite not having a social security number. Hmm. Ken was going to be leaving um, soon for a job at Disney World and because he's just the sweetest angel boy.
1: He's probably one of those adorable uh, dudes on the bike. What are they what are they called?
0: Oh oh uh shit. I don't know, but I but I know what you're talking about. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um like his last like words with Brie before he left was, You're going to do great, Brianna, and I mean it.
1: Oh he, just a wholesome kid.
0: He's just so he's so cute and so nice. Um some of the pictures that I have, there there are a couple of of him uh that I'll that I'll post. Also,
1: he's um older than us, so
0: oh, what do you mean?
1: We keep calling him a kid, and he's probably a full oh, less grown he, adult, now. yeah
0: oh, for sure, but like at this glimpse in time, he's just, his, yeah yeah, 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 just it just hit
1: me that I was like, oh, wait, in like two thousand, he yeah. was graduating high school, and like, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah I was like seven,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Um. So Brie had spent that summer volunteering for the Ralph Nader presidential campaign, which like, <laughs> which like, who knew? Oh, wow. Um, oh god. Yeah, but most of her time was still spent trying to get a social security number. She wrote a six-page letter to the governor of Washington, hired two lawyers, one in Portland and one in Vancouver, and neither of these lawyers knew about the other one so yeah so portland lawyer didn't know about vancouver lawyer and vice versa so they were not like coordinating their actions and that's important um so the and the attorney in vancouver sued the state to force the vital records office to give brianna a birth certificate he gave letters from school officials from um uh they gave he gave high school transcripts of brianna's her state picture identification, medical statements about her mental health. Um, But the attorney, and then the attorney in Portland chose to petition the federal government. So he was not fucking around. He was like, I'm going straight to the top. (laughs) So, yeah, so he petitioned the feds asking them to issue Brianna a social security number. Uh, But before filing the petition, however, he asked Brianna to submit her fingerprints. And thank Ruth Bader Ginsburg that he did this. Well, probably not in her opinion, but not knowing anything about the federal petition that the Portland attorney had filed. The Vancouver one was informed by a state deputy attorney general that um, all Brianna would have to do was appear for a simple court hearing set for March of 2001. And then she'd be issued a birth certificate. So they were trying to make this really easy um Brianna's Brianna's three-year fight at this point to get this um to get her life really started with you know um as as an adult was finally ending and she was officially going to become known as Brianna Stewart but on March 22nd one week before the hearing that the Vancouver guy the Vancouver lawyer had set up Brianna was arrested on charges of theft and perjury what The arresting detective told her that she was a 31-year-old woman and that she had fraudulently received free foster care and free public education from the state of Washington. When Brianna told the detective that there had been some mistake, he said her fingerprints that the Portland lawyer requested matched those from a woman in Altoona, Pennsylvania. What? Yep. By the name of Treva Throneberry.
1: So this is kind of almost like a fucking hometown story for us in a way. It, yeah, Altoona,
0: for those of you that don't know, Altoona is not far.
1: Uh, it's Yeah, it's maybe like an hour and a half, two hours away.
0: Yeah, but honestly, Altoona, um, well, you'll see. So yeah. Ken Dunn's mother called him at Disney World with the news. He was shocked, this poor fucking angel child, saying, Mom, I went to homecoming with a woman 12 years older than me holy shit talk about a gut punch so the other kids from evergreen had mixed reactions about brianna stewart's true identity some thought she was a deceitful psychopath while others were fascinated and wondered how she could have still done so poorly in school despite being in her 30s which oh I,
1: my god which i
0: was like damn that's a
1: that's cold that's
0: a burn man
1: that is a that is a burn
0: um adults in the community wondered whether or not she was truly like dangerous and malicious because after all her accusations of uh like juvenile rape got a security officer jailed.
1: Yeah, and she wasn't really a juvenile, not that, that exactly. you know, but either way, either way let me point out, I just want to point this out, if something did happen, he thought she was a juvenile.
0: R- right. And so Yes, and the charges were cleared because she was not really a minor, but he still pled guilty. Okay.
1: okay. So,
0: likely, he's still a piece of shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Without knowing the whole story, whatever, he he's likely still a piece of shit. Yeah. Um, Some felt that she was just a lost soul with psychiatric issues, but some thought she was a scammer. So, the Vancouver community, like, the jury was out. There were a lot of mixed opinions of what this girl did and who she was so now we're gonna go back we're gonna go to Electra Texas as it turned out the person now known as Brianna Stewart was actually Trevor Throneberry of Electra Texas a small oil town in the northern part of the state She'd been known as a quiet type who never seemed happy, never complained. She was polite to her teachers. She played tennis, worked at the whistle stop as a waitress, and she often read her Bible that she carried around with her on her breaks. No one ever heard of her smoking, drinking, or getting into any trouble. So despite this, people in the town noticed a sadness in Treva and her eyes would become vacant. One day at school, she drew a picture of a girl standing under a bare tree. Her face blue and the sun black. One Sunday at the Pentecostal church, she stumbled to the front altar, fell to her knees, and began telling Jesus that she didn't deserve to live. Mm -hmm. And then it was yeah. And then there was that day when Treva's young niece, Jelisha who was staying at the Throneberry home, told people that Treva had shaken her awake the previous night and whispered that a man was outside their room with a gun, which turned out not to be true. So
1: clearly she's got some kind of mental health situation
0: happening. She's clearly like troubled as fuck in some way. Yeah. So then in the summer of 1985, Treva stopped showing up for work and school And a classmate said she disappeared and nobody knew where she went. Um, A rumor started that Treva was last seen at the police station claiming that her father had raped her and threatened her while holding a gun. Treva said that her mother did nothing but laugh when she found out. It was said that the police immediately intervened, sending social workers to the home and ordering temporary protections for Treva against her parents. Her parents were Carl and Patsy and they were known in the town as just good country people. They had four daughters and one son with Treva as the youngest of them all. Carl and Patsy insisted that Treva made the story up and that their other daughters provided affidavits complaining or proclaiming their dad's innocence. Carl told the police that if anyone had hurt Treva, it was one of those fan- fanatical members of Electra's Pen- uh, Pentecostal Church, which like fair
1: yeah i mean yeah
0: he claimed that they had been trying to brainwash her into becoming a missionary the church then reply like responded to this and said they'd only been trying to help a young girl who was clearly troubled and felt unsafe they said that in the weeks leading up to her rape allegation treva had been telling them that she was scared of being at her home and that she had been slipping out at night to sleep in an abandoned house next door or even on one of the church pews. So then at uh, this foster home in Wichita Falls, where she had been taken after the accusations toward her father, uh, her foster mother, Sharon Gentry, a middle school science teacher, said that she would often find Treva at night curled up in the fetal position in the corner of her room with bed covers pulled over her head. Mm. On, yeah, on other nights, Gentry would find her banging her head against the wall, like kind of mumbling in her sleep, please don't hurt me, I'll be a good girl.
1: I'm super fucking torn right now.
0: It's satisfying. And and it's probably going to stay that way. So, all right. Oh, so Trevor, she remained really gentle and polite at the Gentry home and at her new school in Wichita Falls. She did well in school. She read her Bible, wrote poetry. But after some weeks, Trevor started to leave disturbing handwritten notes on the ironing board for Sharon One read, sometimes I wish I were dead, sometimes I don't. Life seems impossible and death seems eternal. I will have no life after death. She came out of her bedroom one morning and told Sharon that she had been dreaming about shooting herself, and in the dream, she said she could see the bullet entering her head. She later told her a story about how she'd been kidnapped in Electra and taken blindfolded by members of a satanic cult to an abandoned oil field where she was tied to a stake. People in black robes danced around her, she said, and slit the throats of black cats and dogs and forced her to drink their blood. Ew. So she's, like, on some other stuff. So, in May of 86, Trava went to see her school counselor and said in an eerily calm voice that she was thinking about jumping off the third floor of a building to kill herself. Which, that is upsetting as fuck. In itself, but the fact that she was eerily calm freaks me the fuck out.
1: Yeah, yeah. I also just had a really gross realization. uh Uh-huh. So if she really was in her 30s, she's dating a teenage boy. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What the fuck? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I know he said that, but, like, it just clicked in my head that, like, she knows...
0: Yeah, I mean, there is a level of violation that he experienced, too.
1: Yeah, and I feel super bad for him right now. And, like, I'm just hoping that, like... That, that's just so gross. That's... Okay, sorry. Continue.
0: Yeah, so... I, I hear ya. And I'd, I'll speak more on it a little later, because I don't want to... I want you to see how the rest unfolds. Yeah, yeah. So, police officers... Um, sped to the school after she shared this suicidal intent. They handcuffed Treva, drove her to the old red brick Wichita Falls State Hospital at the edge of the city. Which, that's kind of a terrible yeah, thing for them to do. But <laughs> anyway, yeah. not not the taking her to the hospital part, just the way that they seem to do it. Right. Um. So there she spent long periods of time by herself, just staring out the window blankly. She was often seen crying and rarely ate. The doctors and therapists there um, tried to give her, like, various, like, psychological tests, including the Woodcock Johnson psychoeducational battery test, um, which I should have looked up. But basically, they're trying to figure out what the fuck is wrong with her brain. Okay. Like, they're trying to just figure out how to help this girl. Right. Um, they, just, they prescribed her Xanax, uh, Trilophon, which was designed to combat what they called thought disorders. It's um, their IQ
1: tests. I just looked them up.
0: Okay. Um, it's like,
1: yeah, for cognitive abilities.
0: Okay. So, yeah, they prescribed her Xanax, this uh, Trilophon. They prescribed something else called Tofrenil, which was an antidepressant. They put her in weekly group therapy. But despite their efforts, she didn't improve much. She did write a few sad letters to Sharon Gentry and a boy from Wichita Falls High School um, who had once taken her on a date to Six Flags. Um, In one of them, she said, I feel like a living robot. I walk when they say walk. I sit when they say sit. I do everything they say because I have to. I can't take it anymore. I have to die. So doctors described her as having a uh characterological disorder, which is like a personality disorder, okay um the parents her parents came to visit, so Patsy and Carl came to visit and asked her to admit that she was lying about the rape allegations, which it's like that's not the fucking point, no, but I get it. this was like the eighties or whatever um Treva refused and left the room with nothing more to say to them. She was basically like, it is true.' Um, and I, I won't take it back. So after five months in the hospital, she was discharged in October of 86. Social workers weren't sure, uh, where to discharge her to, but Treva begged not to go home to Electra with her parents. Uh, Her parents didn't want her back anyway until she took back the rape accusations. Ultimately, Treva went to the Lena Pope home. Uh, a Fort Worth residential treatment center for troubled adolescents to receive more support and like more therapeutic approaches to their mental health stuff. Um, she was enrolled at the nearby Arlington Heights high school so that she could finish her senior year. Okay. Okay. So in June of 87, uh, Treva graduated from Arlington Heights high school. She had just turned 18 and by law, she could no longer be under state juvenile supervision. When her counselors at Lena Pope asked what she would do next, she said she had planned to apply to a Bible college that didn't require an SAT test. She said, all I want to be and to, or all I want is to be and feel normal, which she wrote on, uh, she wrote to one of her social workers when she left the, the state care. She said, I want to live life, but I want it to be normal. And most of all, I want to live a normal life. Hmm um trevor returned to electra for a couple days following graduation but she refused to go to her parents home but she did visit her three older sisters carlene kim and sue trevor honey what do you said about daddy is still breaking his heart said Carline. you need to go apologize trevor did not respond and just kept her eyes glued to the floor Ugh. The, yeah which that, that this, this poor girl like we're, as a society, we're only just now understanding, like, sexual assault and stuff, so... Yeah. But it just, it's really sad that just no one had very much compassion for what she was saying. No, no. So, the truth was that even though the three older Throneberry sisters knew their father hadn't done this to Treva, there was a, there was still a deep, dark secret in their home oh god yeah okay they knew why treva didn't want to return to that house they knew what she had endured there because they had endured it themselves when they were children they too had lain awake in their own beds at night praying that he would not come to touch them the true perpetrator was uncle billy ray their father's older brother he often spent time at carl and patsy's home and at night he'd go into the girl's bedroom and molest them oh my god we didn't know what to do carlene recalled we were just children uneducated small town girls i know you're not going to understand this i think this was during uh like an interview but those times were different we were too scared to say anything because we thought people would make us feel ashamed and tell us it was our fault we had tried to let mama and daddy know what he was doing at least we thought we had but we didn't come out and say anything outright because Billy Ray had told us that if we ever did he'd have mama and daddy killed and then he'd have us all to himself. Horrifying. Mm. That's so horrifying. Oh my. I'm like sick to my stomach. She went on um, what were we supposed to do? We thought and I know this sounds so terrible that this was the way things worked and that this was how everyone lived. Oh. So fucking sad. And as they got older, the three um three older sisters didn't say anything. Um, Sue said we'd been trained from an early age not to talk about it, not even to each other. But they did everything to keep their distance from their uncle. They worked double shifts at their waitressing job. Sue ran away once, uh, but then she was caught in the panhandle town of Childress. Um, but she was too scared to tell her parents why she ran away. Um, the three of them all got married as teenagers, so that they could live in their own homes. Ugh. This left Trevor alone the youngest, the quietest, and yeah,
1: the target constantly and
0: it was and they also described her as being their uncle's favorite, so he Great. was so he was like the biggest predator to her, Ugh. even as much of a piece of shit he was to everyone else's like it was even worse, they said, right. So the sisters theorize, and this makes a lot of sense to me, that when Treva accused Carl, she too, she had finally reached the point where she had to make her own escape. Um, Carlene said she knew child welfare would get her out of there if she accused daddy. I think she was just like us, too scared about what people might say or believe if she told the truth. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense because like, then that's a that was a way for her to get it to stop whereas if they said the uncle like maybe they'd look into the uncle but maybe their parents wouldn't believe her yeah. and then she'd still be stuck there and then and these girls were being told that he, that the uncle would have mom and dad killed so maybe she thought that yeah I... you know what i mean she did what she thought she had to do to get the hell out of there. She's just trying to survive. It's super fucking sad. Yeah. Um, the sisters began to wonder if Trevor's escape had come too late. But Before she left, they listened in disbelief as Trevor began to tell them stories that seemed pretty crazy. She told Kim the story about being kidnapped by a satanic cult, which forced her to drink blood and participate in infant sacrifices. Oh, God. When Kim... Asked, like, why she was saying these things, um, she couldn't tell if Trevor was listening to her or not. Her eyes got that blank, vacant look um as if she was just somewhere else. Ugh. So, a day after that arrival to Electra, Trevor left. She did not stick around. She didn't go to Bible college. She lived briefly in the Fort Worth area with a woman who was raising three other kids, and then she reportedly went to live at a YWCA. On the On one occasion, Sharon Gentry, that was the former foster mom, um, received a collect call from Treva, who said she was working at a rundown motel in Arlington. She called again and she said she was living on the streets and then she vanished. Um, Just just disappeared. Yep. And Sue, her sister, even said we never really did look too hard for her. It wasn't that we didn't want to see her. We figured I know. We figured that she wanted to get away to get a new start. At least that's what we hoped she was doing. That she was alive somewhere, doing her best. Yeah, it's kind of like, oh, well, thanks for summing it up so eloquently, Sue. Yeah, like... I guess I get it but at the same time like what the fuck? It's hard to understand when your little ass sister is just out there like yeah, clearly very disturbed because of her, these traumatic events that happened to her. Right. So by 1992 there was still no word from Treva to anyone in Electra, and and by now it had been like six years and many people assumed that she might be dead. In 93 a rumor began in the town that Trevor had died in the fire at the Branch Davidian compound near Waco. What? Yeah, I'm telling you, this shit had everything. Oh my! Ugh. And this okay. fucking this fucking town is just a rumor well, like hot damn. That's the yeah. second. That is the second time in this story that I mentioned that a rumor got loose in that fucking podunk town. <laughs> like what? Fucking Waco though. Like right? I I guess I. Wh- Okay. Sharon Gentry, the former foster mom, even sent Trevor's uh, dental records to authorities down there just to make sure that she was not a victim and to have something to match with in case she was. <sighs> so obviously, Trevor wasn't there, but she yeah. was. But in a small town called Corvallis, Oregon, there was a teenager named Kelly T. Throneberry Smith working at a McDonald's and staying with a family she had met at church. She told people she preferred the name Kelly Smith. In fact, she went to court in Corvallis to change her name legally because she said she was hiding from her father who lived in Dallas. She told Corvallis police officers that that he had already found her once in Oregon, forced her into his car, and raped her. Oh my God. But the police could never find Kelly's alleged father, and eventually Kelly disappeared, too. The next summer, she surfaced in Portland, telling the police that she was on the run from her father, claiming that he had sexually abused her and that he was a Portland police officer. Again, police investigated with no leads about the father that she mentioned, and again, she disappeared. She reappeared. She just keeps, like, falling off the map. Yep exactly okay. um she reappeared the summer of 94 in cordeline idaho now naming herself Leana davis okay she, she said her mother so this similar story from when we first started she said her mother had been murdered um and her father a police officer had been a member of a satanic cult and had repeatedly raped her after two months she vanished Later that year, she arrived in Plano, Texas, a suburb of Dallas. Uh, Lost my place. Okay, she told the police and social workers there that her name was Kara Williams, that she was 16 and that she had been born and raised in a satanic cult where she had been taught that her destiny was to honor Satan and to die in a lake of fire. She She said that many of the children she'd grown up with had been fatally stabbed as a sacrifice for the cult. Her own mother had been murdered by her father, the cult leader, who happened to be a police officer in Colleyville, another Dallas suburb. He also raped her repeatedly, she said, and at bedtime would force her to chant prayers to Lucifer.
1: Okay. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I'm just not... all right
0: you're you're getting uh you're getting a little over it i understand what just over like
1: no no i didn't mean what i just meant like i was like saying what to the the story in general like what why the fuck
0: no like it's just getting it's just getting increasingly outrageous like yeah
1: like i (laughs) yeah
0: and i'm gonna be super interested to hear what you think like at the end um A female detective in Plano, Texas, was so determined to discover who had harmed Kara that she drove to Colleyville and asked the police chief if he knew of any uh, any officer with a special interest in satanic activity cases. Again, there was no shortage of people trying to help Kara. Air quotes. Um, Social workers, volunteers took her out to various activities and helped to place her in foster homes and youth shelters, doing their best to make her feel safe. At one shelter, she accused a young male staffer of molesting her, which led to her being moved again. With each move, she was enrolled in a new high school, and in the spring of 1995 alone, Kara attended high schools in Sadler, Sherman, and Dallas, joining the tennis team at each new place. The Child Protective Services worker supervising her case, Suzanne Arnold, went so far as to buy her a new tennis racket to help her play. Wow. But then in September of 95, um, this Susan Arnold or Suzanne Arnold received a call at home from a staffer at the residential treatment center where Kara was staying. The employee who just happened to be from a little town of Electra said, Suzanne, I think Kara is actually a 26 year old woman named Trevor Throneberry. <laughs> Which I'm sure Suzanne was just like, what the fuck? Like, yeah, what? like, what? <laughs> um, so days later, uh, they confronted kara with records photographs handwriting samples that proved her identity she didn't confess though her protests were so adamant so tearful um that more than one person uh what th- that was watching believed what she was saying like or believed that she believed what she was saying like she was so um invested in the story yeah so after a court hearing, discharge her from the government supervision, Suzanne Arnold handed her a quarter and gave her the phone numbers for the state mental health uh, office and a homeless shelter and said, please get some help. But as Kara was like walking away from her, she insisted one last time that she was not Trevor Thronberry and then disappeared again. Okay, so in June, and we're getting there, I promise. No, in, fine. Um... in June of 96, a 16-year-old teenager named Emily Kara, this time Kara spelled K-H-A-R-R-A. Emily Kara Williams arrived in Asheville, North Carolina, where she told police officers she was on the run from a cult in Texas. So mm. in August 96, a 16-year-old girl named Stephanie Williams came to Altoona, Pennsylvania, where she told the police she was on the run from her father in Memphis, Tennessee who was involved in a cult and this time she threw in a child porn ring okay so that's a new, it up yeah that's a new, that's a new twist um a social worker spotted a reference in the girl's notebook to a suzanne arnold in texas um they made made some phone calls checked some records and were able to prove that the girl was Trevor throneberry She was arrested and sent to jail for nine days for providing a false report to law enforcement. And at one point, an Altoona social worker called Carl and Patsy and asked them to speak to their daughter to remind her of her real identity. Um, On that call, Carl said, hi, baby, it's your daddy. And And then she said, you sound like an awful nice man and I wish you were my father, but you're not. Trevor replied.
1: Wow.
0: I'm not who you think I am. Honey, you'll be Trevor Throneberry until the day you die, Patsy said in a shaky voice. Now stop playing games. Oh, my
1: God.
0: Trevor slash whatever her name was now, Stephanie, I think, um, she said, oh, no, she said, you got me mixed up with someone else, but someday I may just get that way to see you. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, please don't.
1: <laughs> yeah, never mind.
0: So after her release from the Altoona Jail, she was on the road making appearances in Louisiana, New Jersey, Ohio, where she'd shown up like at youth shelters. Um, She kept reenacting the same scenario, looping back in time. She found a refuge at a high school, um, continued joining the tennis team, studying Shakespeare, um, which seemed to be like her favorite um year after year after year just doing it's just the same thing
1: i want to know um what her skincare routine was that she could pass for a 16 year old girl at 30
0: yeah and i will i'll send you a picture because i could see how she would pass i mean she just she wore she had like these long bangs that she wore in those pigtails um and she spoke in this childlike high-pitched squealy voice um so yeah i'll send you a picture later and you'll have to tell me what like if you would have believed it because i think i would have to be honest um in her travels treva had used 18 different aliases holy shit 18 different aliases that is insane the question remains why was she a con artist pretending to be downtrodden um to receive free foster care, free education. Okay, was but she- let me
1: just say foster care is not exactly a fucking walk in the park either.
0: Uh right. Yeah, I mean, honestly, unless the author left anything out, she got she got pretty lucky. Like with what her
1: her foster care situation, yeah.
0: Were. Like, I think it maybe stemmed from the fact that um she would meet people in church too, and they
1: would. Okay, yeah.
0: I not that like everyone that goes to church is a peach because they're definitely not. But
1: no, it, but, but I
0: think that it was more. I think the term foster care isn't necessarily the state system. I think it's more of like
1: people this, stepping up.
0: There's people stepping up, just right. Yeah, so kind of voluntarily, you know yeah um so they but was she maybe she was afflicted with what doctors called psychiatric munchausen syndrome where she would intentionally feign this uh mental health or emotional distress to receive attention or was she slowly descending into insanity That no one had ever seen before. Was it possible that by the time she entered Evergreen High School in 1997 in Vancouver, she'd just completely forgotten the girl she had been in 1985? So, let's go briefly back to Vancouver in 2000. So, Treva's sister, so where we left off, the the community was like, what the fuck? Like, who is this girl? What happened here? Yeah. Treva's sisters actually did come forward to the press and shared that they all experienced sexual abuse by their piece of shit uncle. So one of Treva's court-appointed attorneys said, quote, This case is not about fraud, but about a tremendous emptiness, a need, a trauma, very early in her life. So they argued that if Treva was truly a con artist looking for financial gain, that she would have picked, like, a way better story than wandering the country as a homeless kid. Yeah. Which I can see that. But for many, for a lot of people, the greatest mystery about the story was why Treva, after being caught in Plano in 95, Altoona in 96, Vancouver in 2001, just still refused to admit it. And even from her jail cell, she... Um, wrote letters to the judge and had interviews with the media that she'd never heard of Trevor Thronberry. and when her niece the little jay jay lisha we talked about earlier w- wrote her while in jail she said that Trevor responded with a letter that said dear Jaylisha lisha throneberry i'm sorry to tell you this i don't know who you are so okay. mental Mental health professionals had a fucking field day wondering how much of her past Treva actually remembered, or if she was just, or if she didn't remember anything at all. So some experts speculated that the trauma of abuse committed by her uncle just disconnected memories in her brain, causing a dissociative fugue state. Okay, which is like a it's a type of amnesia in which she didn't know how she got where she was or why she was there okay others suggested that she could have multiple personality disorder where she created several personalities over the years to deal with Mm -hmm. her sexual abuse Um, a psychologist who examined her for several days in 1995 when she was in Texas pretending to be Kara Williams um was really like caught by her sincerity when she talked of these satanic rituals and gang rape um the psychologist said there was nothing in her behavior or presentation to suggest that she was knowingly misrepresenting the facts so what baffled everyone in Vancouver was her decision and I agree with this I I put this in bold her decision to give fingerprints to the attorney yeah if she had really been thinking rationally in this in this calculating scamming way she would have known That those fingerprints would have linked her back to where she was jailed in Pennsylvania.
1: Okay, but this is how many years after she had been established there?
0: Established in Vancouver?
1: Yeah. Oh, only like three. But that was like the longest time that she'd ever actually been established in one place?
0: Uh, It was probably one of them. Okay. So it was equally odd that when she was arrested, she demanded that her DNA be compared to Carl and Patsy, her biological parents. She said she was certain that a test would prove that she was not their kid. But the DNA test showed that there is a 99.93% likelihood that she was. Right. So why would she try so hard to get people to look at her past when it's clearly going to show that she is Treva? Like, why would she do that if she was so calculating? Yeah. So if she was deriv- if she was deliberately trying to scam people, why would she just set herself up to be found out?
1: Okay, I get it.
0: So Kenneth Muscatel, a Seattle uh psychologist who'd been hired by the court to examine her um to examine Treva said, "Here is a woman who invents stories to get the love and affection she had never known in her home, yet a woman so profoundly disturbed that she ends up turning on the very people who are trying to help her, accusing them of abuse. <sighs> okay, so other than Jaylisha, the niece that wrote, or the cousin that wrote to her that she didn't, that Trava claimed not to know, no other, there is no other contact from family. Um, okay her dad Carl said she didn't write he didn't write to Treva because um he dropped out of school in 6th grade and really didn't know how to spell but he okay. did want it to be known that he was angry about the completely untrue stories that Treva at about Treva and that he was pissed that his brother um had made the newspapers so
1: also like, that big long sigh was not it was just about what you had said like about her i just want to be clear i it just like rung it like resonated with me really strongly yeah and i was just like what the f-? like it's really I, fucking sad. Know.
0: yeah yeah so carl was pissed that they that his brother made the newspapers patsy the mom said she didn't write because she was so hurt by the way Trevor turned her back on the family um, she doesn't think that this is really interesting she did say that she believed that treva hadn't completely forgotten her identity her true identity because at the funeral of her of patsy's mother treva's grandmother in 1998 patsy said there was an elderly lady sitting in the back wearing an old faded dress the lady brushed against her as everyone was leaving the funeral parlor and patsy noticed she was wearing a gray wig and granny glasses and she had loads of pancake makeup on her face in my heart she said i know it was treva mm. so treva's arrest did motivate her sisters to start talking to each other more about um their own feelings of shame about the past abuse but they didn't reach out to treva either
1: so, so no one no one except for her niece
0: So the prosecutor offered Treva a plea bargain um, of two years in prison in return for admitting who she was, but she wouldn't take the deal. She then fired her court-appointed attorneys when she learned that they were planning to argue that even though she was indeed Treva Thronberry, that she had no idea she was committing a crime because she really did believe that she was Brianna Stewart. Treva told the judge that she wanted to exercise her constitutional right to defend herself she said she wanted which that's weird yeah so yeah. she said she wanted to convince the jury that she really was brianna stewart um so she didn't want her she didn't want her identity attached to Trevor Thronberry at all however whichever way you slice it she didn't want her lawyers really thinking that's who she was she didn't want a plea deal for her to just say that's who she was. She really wanted people to truly believe that that's who she was, which is really interesting. Yeah. Um. I- so the judge couldn't say no to her request to represent herself. And by law, to act as her own counsel, Treva only had to demonstrate that she understood the nature of the charges against her and their potential punishment. Her... Her nemesis, prosecutor Michael Kinney, um, told the press that Treva was perfectly competent. He said she's graduated from high school at least twice.
1: Oh my god! <clears throat> I'm sorry. I shouldn't have found that funny.
0: Uh, but it kind but, of was. But it is. Yeah. So... Her trial began in mid-November of 2001, and each day, Treva appeared carrying a stack of law books and notebooks. She often kept her hair braided and the usual pigtails, but instead of overall, she wore ankle-length jean skirts. (laughs) Ew. (laughs) (laughs) Before the testimony, she always smiled at the judge, Robert Harris, and said in her little girl voice, this cracked me up, she would say hi in her little girl voice. And the judge was completely thrown off by, by that. And at one point he said, hello, Miss Stewart, Miss Thornberry, whatever. Oh my God.
1: <laughs> Every time you say Thornberry, my brain fixes it. The Thornberry. Thornberry. The way. Oh, I've been yeah. doing it this
0: whole time. Yep. Yeah. Um, so he had one of the court appointed attorneys sit by her to answer any questions she might have. Uh, about the procedure and other points of law, but Travis seemed very comfortable in her role as her own defense attorney. She would often call out objection relevance while beaming at the judge. Um, after several objections, Kenny, um, who was like really serious and kind of big and bearded, began clenching his fists and trying to control how pissed he was.
1: Oh my god! Uh...
0: Which like oh my god, you're letting this like disturbed. Like, yeah little woman like do that to you is was insane but uh when an investigator from the prosecutor's office took the scan to took the stand to um try to explain the complexities of the fingerprint evidence uh Trevor would just nod thoughtfully and then when she cross-examined him asked like really pointless questions about ridge patterns <laughs> so like she was just <laughs> she was just trying to like look oh God. look smart. It's kind of cringy when you think about it.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: um, <laughs> Yeah, later, this is also kind of funny, later when another um like law enforcement official told the jury about the way Kelly Smith in Corvallis, Oregon used a bunch of aliases, she seemed perplexed as fuck. She was like, why would someone come up with so many names? She asked. It makes no sense yeah <laughs> you're like yeah
1: that's why we're all here that's yeah that's what that's what brought us here that's what oh my god
0: so kenny was adamant about proving that brianna really knew her true identity that he called the stand um he called the stand a woman from Vancouver of vancouver convenience store she said that she remembered brianna once coming in with other teenagers to buy a pack of cigarettes and that brianna showed an identification of the name travis ronberry oh the evergreen but don't get too excited the evergreen teenagers who'd been close to brianna though were they were like convinced the clerk was lying um they said brianna never smoked and they never even remembered going to the store with her so i think i think that that lawyer was so mad like he paid that person to say that yeah um, to further like bolster the case, uh Kinney actually flew in Sharon Gentry, the foster mother from fifteen years ago, okay. to testify that she knew Trevor when she was Treva back in the eighties, okay, when she was sixteen um Gentry's appearance was really unexpected and led to like this really kind of devastating moment at the trial um Trevor after she kind of answered some some questions from the opposing a- attorney Treva Rose from the defense table and approached her and asked to see some photos that Gentry brought with her and for the first time like Treva kind of seemed fearful and anxious she stared at the, the picture of herself with Gentry on the beach at um at, at on a beach for a spring break um back then and she stared at the photo of herself with this high school boyfriend from Wichita Falls the one that took her to Six Flags. And after a really long silence, Treva said, this Treva and these pictures, what was she like? And Gentry was kind of, Sharon um, was like pretty thrown off and she wasn't quite sure what to say, but she replied, "She was a very polite young lady. She enjoyed church. She enjoyed tennis. She had a wooden tennis racket. She was always very appropriate, very thankful. She always apologized if she hurt my feelings. There was another... Yeah, there was another long silence, and um, then Treva asked, was Treva smart? And Gentry said, oh yes, she loved to read and really enjoyed school activities. She got good grades. Another silence. Did she work hard? Treva asked. It was clear that Gentry was now struggling to control like her emotions. And she'd later say that she almost stood up right then and leaned across the witness box so that she could hug Treva. She worked very hard, Gentry said. She tried hard. Trevor was a wonderful young woman. Oh, said Treva. Thank you. As she, as the trial, mm-hmm. as the trial, like, her, you know, went along, got to the conclusion, Treva really didn't have much evidence for her defense. Um, she tried to introduce a report from a Vancouver therapist who once guessed that Brianna Stewart was about 20 years old, but the judge ruled the report um, wasn't admissible. She she called her former teachers and counselors to the stand to testify that she only wanted a social security number so that she can continue with school. She said, I wanted to go to college so I could take care of myself. Isn't that right? Um, She asked to the guidance counselor, Greg Merrill, and not have someone just take care of me. Greg Merrill refused replied pretty stiffly it was pretty clear that he was kind of um, embarrassed that he believed her for so long and he said all of our conversations were about you being self-sufficient and the final argument kenny went in his final statement to the jury he said if you feel sorry for her we don't give a damn about your tears that's not why we're here he like (sighs) yeah he mimicked treva's voice telling the jury that she just wanted to remain a quote pampered child and that she wanted just like a free financial ride
1: wow
0: for her final argument treva stood uh before the jury and read a short speech that she had handwritten in a notebook i still say i am brianna rebecca stewart i don't pretend to be anyone else but me So, as you can imagine, the jury found her guilty really quickly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah, the judge sentenced her to three years in prison, and the attorney, uh, the attorney who had been assisting Treva during the trial, Gary Ware, made a last-minute request for the judge to state for the record whether he thought that Treva was competent to stand trial, and... Uh, I don't know if it's Gary or Jerry. It's I guess it's Jerry. It's G E R R Y. Um, Jerry made a statement. There's no question in my mind. Having spent as much time with her as I have, that she is of the opinion that she is Brianna Stewart. However, Judge Harris said he wished that he could like send her for like mental health treatment. Um, yeah. Like, like to a state hospital, but he ended up saying, like, the only legal option was prison. But it's really sad because the problem with prison in Washington state at that time was that there was really limited mental health services. There was no supervision for nonviolent offenders after their release. So when treva completes the sentence, she'll be on her own, hopefully, at least with a phone number for a woman's shelter wow so without any help she'd probably just continue living like who knows where as who knows who yeah yes um she told the judge that she would immediately file an appeal um and before she walked out of the courtroom she looked out the window and it was just like raining and she just kind of stared and whispered um And just kept saying, like, it's not, it's or no, what she said. It's so unfair. It's so unfair. Oh my God. And a reporter standing near her said, like, what's unfair? Are you talking about what happened to you a long time ago? She looked at the reporter and then she just like gathered all her shit up, all her papers and books, and said, My name is Brianna Stewart, and I am 19 years old. And as bailiffs were like escorting her out of the courtroom, she just started like kind of yelling i'm 19 i'm not guilty of anything except being a teenager
1: well that's weird
0: yeah so (laughs) that is the story now i don't i don't have a present day update um that's as far as i got because i was like holy shit this is so detailed and long anyway yeah um but that is my story of treva thornberry and all of her <laughs> you know <laughs> and all of her fucking 20 aliases treva
1: sounds like nigel trying to say trevor i just want no, to it say. really does
0: yeah t-r-e-v-a i looked up because i didn't know if it was treva if it was treva it's um, probably just
1: a female trevor
0: yeah i looked it up like i looked up the pronunciation and that's what it said um mm so oh okay yeah. wait in oh shit you are fucking kidding me in 2016 this is according to wikipedia throneberry resurfaced under the alias brianna kenzie accusing oh a local man of sexually assaulting her while she worked as a hotel employee she was later fired after hotel employees learned of her prior record
1: oh my god
0: wow wow and that's the last update there is. So
1: she's still on her bullshit.
0: She's still on her bullshit. There was, like, there were um two Law & Order episodes about, like, based on her. Hmm. Um, yeah, is that not the craziest shit you've ever heard?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, like, what are your theories here? Like, I don't, you talked about, like, if she was scamming. Like, I truly don't necessarily think she was scamming. But I also think that she was extremely mentally ill. And she might have believed her own lies. Like, the lies just got ahead of her. You know what I mean? She's probably repressing a lot of memories. But, like, at what point, like, I don't know. I don't know.
0: I, okay, so what What I think is, I think she definitely has personality disorder. Yeah. Um, I don't really know that multiple personalities is a thing. I don't think, I think that that's been... I I maybe I'm talking up my ass here, but I thought that was kind of debunked as like no,
1: it's it can be a real thing,
0: but isn't it something else? Isn't it more like dissociative personality disorder?
1: Yes, but like you you still you sh- you shift into other personalities, and I don't think that that's what she had because each of her stories were too similar, like, and you could tell she was just adapting them as she went to see what was going to work where she went. Mm, you know what I mean? I mean? Like yeah. usually, like and with dissociative personality disorder they're like different like different personalities entirely not like just different versions of each other
0: that's true yeah that's true um I, I just mean like dissociative personality disorder it like i yeah there's like fractures of the person in these different personalities but i think it's a little bit different of what we've heard as as the kind of cliche multiple personalities like I do think it's a little bit more nuanced than that I don't know but at any rate so what yeah what do you think this is what's your gut tell you I think that she was
1: just she she has some kind of personality disorder for sure I think her childhood trauma was very very real and it caused her to begin you know this whole process right Mm -hmm. but i don't necessarily think that she did it like that she was scamming Mm -hmm. i think that maybe that wasn't
0: her intention
1: i think maybe a lot of her lies she truly believed yeah so yeah
0: i i so i really think and i think this for all for a lot of different situations i think people say and do things to get their needs met yeah and i think i do think that like you said some of the lies that she believed were le- were in her mind legitimately true to her i think she believed yeah. them and i also think that she like when that when that trauma happens to you like you get stuck in this age right that you all that you were when it happened and I think she was so disturbed and while I do think she knew she was embellishing some things like with satanic cults and stuff like that I I do think that she so badly wanted this identity of this girl because you heard like when she, she when she was a kid she went to this church um screaming for Jesus that she shouldn't be alive so I think she was so ashamed of the mm-hmm. of the rape and so and knew that and, and like blamed herself that I think she just never wanted this Trevor Throneberry to exist again.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And,
0: and that that like stress induced that stress induced. um I, I think it's almost like stress induced psychosis, too.
1: Okay. yeah, I can get behind that. You
0: know what I mean? Like where you're going through such a stressful time that you fucking lose your grip. Right. And I think that's what happened. I think it's a combination of things. I don't think her intention was to scam. Because like that, like that lawyer, like, you know, like that argument that I shared, she could have scammed in a way bigger way to get her way better shit than just a room in a house. You know what I mean? And like, uh, uh, to me, there is something about her just repeating the same grades over and over Mm -hmm. and just wanting to have, like she said, this normal life, this fun teenage life. And uh, it's fascinating to me. Yeah. But I don't think I don't think what she was doing was malicious um, necessarily. And I do, I think there's also something to, like, that Gambetta family, they treated her so well, and she, but it was almost like, it's almost like, oh, they're really showing me, like, love and kindness, and now I have to book it so that nobody rapes me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I think I think that's really interesting, too. Like, I do think she was like, I can't get too attached here, because the minute I get attached or I trust anyone, that's when I get harmed.
1: Yeah. No, I, I think that that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, putting that blame and making that barrier too, you know, kind of falls in with that. Yeah. You know, like, do. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, she's harming them before they can harm her.
0: Exactly. And I think I so. think I do think what was intentional, but maybe on a subconscious level, even I think she did not stay places for very long, like because she was. I I think she always was under this operate under this assumption like I'm going to be harmed so I cannot stay in one place for a long time.
1: Right. Right. It was just survival at that point.
0: Yeah, it was just survival and it was just like let me just get my needs met for a little bit here and and she just and I think she it wasn't revenge but I think blaming all these men that some may some may not have abused her like I think most of them probably didn't except for the uncle obviously and maybe that security guard that we know of that we know of but like that Gambetta guy I don't think he did but I think she was just so like she was probably so fearful of men that that was just how almost how she got justice maybe right for her uncle yeah
1: yeah i i that makes sense there's but just she needs she needs mental health treatment
0: it's it's so sad
1: yeah i just wow wow and clearly she just fell through the cracks again because she was up to the same shit again in 2016 so Uh,
0: yeah yeah and that's and that is so heartbreaking and like it, it really shouldn't uh it's 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 a really you know at the end of the day this is a really sad tale of kind of what happens when women feel like they can't women children men doesn't matter anyone feels like they can't share about sexual assault (laughs) like right because that could have been there even though she probably still would have had these latent mental health things but they could have been like early early intervention like it could have her life could have been so different and that's really sad
1: yeah yeah Holy, that really did have fucking everything.
0: It had everything, and it was super long. So we can forego, um, we can forego padded room, I think, this week.
1: Yeah, I think so.
0: Yeah. Um. So. so, yeah, we will do that, and the social medias, where you can follow us and talk to us, and yeah. blah, blah, blah. Uh, we're on Instagram, at Chardonnay and DNA, all spelled out. Facebook, Chardonnay, ampersand DNA uh chardonnay dna on the twitter that we never use
1: yeah don't bother
0: no <laughs> that should just be our that should be our new handle just at don't, don't
1: bother, bother. <laughs> i wonder if it's taken we should see i'll check
0: um all right i said gmail or did i i don't know chardonnay no. and dna at com. if you uh chardonnay and com, we have a patreon we have a fuck ton of t-shirts
1: yeah, but if you would like to support the podcast, we recently asked how you can support the podcast. Buy a t-shirt because I'm just sitting on them right now. Yes, um And please. I would love to not have all of these t-shirts in my fucking house.
0: She's literally sitting so, on them. You will get right now. Rachel's ass sweat.
1: <laughs> that's, yeah, if you want that, I can make that happen. <laughs> she's, uh, she's into that weird stuff. Sure. Uh, you know, just, just... Buy a shirt so I don't have so fucking many of them
0: sitting in my house. She'll wipe her butt with it. Whatever, whatever you need. And we wish you very good luck at your your fancy smancy event, and we hope you sell lots of CBD.
1: Thank you. I just want to help a bunch of people. So, oh wow, she does look young.
0: Yep, just sent you that, and that's our that's our boy Ken. Oh, love him. Yeah, precious little angel. Doesn't she like? You could see how people. In that one, she doesn't even have her pigtails. Look at this one. Okay. Anyways, uh, here, here comes. Oh
1: fuck! Right. Yeah, she's very yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, um, don't be a thirty-two-year-old woman pretending to be a teenager.
0: Um, please don't. And if you want to do that, please um call someone to help get, you get
1: yeah yeah seek some mental health assistance please
0: and Trevor, if you're listening dude we're sorry you deserve yeah
1: better. you you deserved a chance and that you sucks did.
0: sorry bud. So, yeah so all right all right toodles bye, bye.